Stop it. Yeah, we're back. Friday. It's Friday. And that can only mean one thing. It's time for Put Him on, on the, the couch. couch. The good life today, Nelson. Uh, you and I have been talking about what constitutes the good life for quite a while now. And I'm excited to get this episode going and share with our good. audience what uh, the think, good life means to us. I think it's good to let people in on our secrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have to say, um, in the build-up to this episode, I went to the internet and started looking for some social groups that I could infiltrate. Uh, one of those social groups that I planned to just spend only a few minutes in, kind of just lurking, was called Positive Psychology. A little plug for that that social group. Turns out there's over 300,000 members in that group. Wow. And a lot of them are active. Many of them are not from America, not even from North America. They're from the continent of Africa. So I'd like to give a shout out to some of my new friends from Kenya, Zimbabwe. Nice. Uh, and a variety of other countries. You know who you are. You and I have been talking over the past week. Uh, 20, 30 of you actually shared your insights, shared what you believed made life worth living. What's the good life, I asked them. Want to hear what they said? Yeah, sure. What they said? Well, many of them said being free of persecution. Wow. Others, of course, who maybe are not in such dire straits in life, were saying things like having peace of mind, um, lots of religious undertones, being able to walk with God. Some of it was very explicit. Some of it was just sort of, you know, again, an undercurrent. But wow, what I found interesting is that no matter how far on the map you go, you find that we all share a humanity, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, think what it takes to be happy might vary by region. It might vary by time zone. It might vary by neighborhood. Yeah, but the desire but to be happy. The desire happy, to be happy is really universal, isn't good it? Life. Yeah, yeah. It's really universal. And so that's, that, that's that question, right? I mean, what is it that even makes it possible to live a good life? Historically, that's a great question. Maybe so, it's been political, religious. I think religion. Dear God. Dear God. Or, you know, spirituality, the metaphysical. I think that's a big component of it. Economics. Money, it, that is a component yeah. of what it takes to uh, live a good life. Yeah, who your family is, who, who you're your married family to. Is. Absolutely. How your kids turn out. Absolutely. Your job. Yep, and just, you know, broader community. Yeah. And uh, zip code, baby, about. where you're born. Where you're born, you know? absolutely. You live in one of the richest, most powerful nations on the earth. You should be thriving. One right here. You should be thriving, absolutely. according to politicians, right? Here in America, we breathe life into dreams. We create the future, and the world follows us into tomorrow both conservative and progressives alike, they'll tell you that the key to happiness is living in, I guess, some version, our version of a democratic society. Absolutely. So today, let's talk a little bit about uh, one of those foundational pieces, talk sure. a little religion. Let's do it. All right. What I'm going to say today is highly generalized. I mean, human beings had religious beliefs long before civilization. Early humanoid species like Neanderthals were burying their dead as far back as 130,000 years ago. Wow. Now, the precise reason for the evolution of religious beliefs is a topic that has been and remains highly debated among scholars, anthropologists, and theologians. Many people believe that the practice of animism, that is the ascribing to objects like plants, animals, rivers, and mountains, the characteristics of human beings, either came from a need to explain a complex world, or as a way of controlling what could be a rapidly changing and hostile environment through good behavior and sacrifice. As humans evolve into more civilized societies, we see the development of polytheistic religions, and these faith systems would be foundational for many of the great civilizations of the ancient world. 
Many of their gods remain household names, names like Ra, the sun god in Egypt, Zeus and Poseidon in ancient Greece, and of course Jupiter, Neptune, and Mars, making up just three gods of the pantheon and three of our eight planets. Those religious systems have gods which are very similar to humans. They're fallible, prone to human-like error and judgment, and susceptible to the same emotions and actions that govern many of our own human relationships. In a word, these gods were, well, relatable, for better or for worse. Now, while the polytheistic faiths dominated, other systems of the time also sought to explain the mysteries of our world while simultaneously creating moral rules that could govern increasingly large civilizations. In Persia, the world's first and longest-lasting monotheistic faith, Zoroastrianism, helped to provide stability to the Persian Empire by integrating its many cultures. The religion still claims more than two million followers today, most of whom can be found in Iran. In the Indus Valley, the Brahmin traditions of Hinduism and later Buddhism were either polytheistic in the case of Hinduism or not entirely clear in the case of Buddhism with regards to specific gods. But both worked within their societies to explain what at the time was otherwise unexplainable. Compared to the polytheistic faiths mentioned in a, moment, a moment ago, both Zoroastrianism and the Brahmin traditions of the Indus Valley focused quite a bit on happiness and peace of mind. During the first 600 years of the modern era, the monotheistic faiths with which we are most familiar, that's Christianity and Islam, would respectively emerge as important and foundational elements of their societies. While it is undeniable today that non-religious or atheist is a growing demographic claim amongst all groups, it is equally true that the belief in some sort of higher power is deeply connected to what it means to be human and an integral part of what we have long termed living the good life. So sit back, stretch out, relax, as we get ready to explore the good life and put religion and its followers on the couch. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Nice job again, Nelson. Thank you for that. Little table setting. Yeah. So uh, religion has been around a while. Lots of different versions, iterations. They seem to have something in common, don't they? Yeah, well, let's begin with this idea of animism, this idea of putting human ideas, human emotions, putting human qualities into these non-living objects like yeah. rocks and rivers. Yeah, I dated an English major one time, and she used to talk about her teddy bear loving her. Is that kind of the same thing? I love you. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in a way, personification, right? maybe it is. It is yeah. a form of personification. Morphism, okay, animism. But let's take it. You know, let's let's take it more seriously. Okay. Let's let's look at it from. I, you know, I just wanted to ask you a psychological question from this perspective. Is there some sort of psychological benefit to explaining these things? I mean, there seems to be something in us that has this need for explanation. Yeah, this need for meaning. This for need, meaning yeah, and purpose, value, absolutely. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, I think most religions satisfy, to some degree, yearning to belong, that yearning to be more than what you appear to be. Right. Imbuing things that are not alive with these almost godlike or spiritual qualities, or at least human qualities, the rivers, the mountains, good poetry, good literature, good authors do, in fact, imbue these non-living things, these works of nature as having living or even human right. qualities. I, I think that's part of our biophilia, as the late E.O. Wilson called it in one of the last books he wrote before he passed away. 
Yeah, it does seem so essential to the human condition to try to explain. The sun rose, and I don't know why. Yeah. The moon fades in and out, and I need to know why that's right. happening and if it's important and why it's important. Hey, and better yet, if it rose for me in some way, even a small way, if it's there for me, and, um, for my taking, for my enjoyment, even better. Anything that brings me closer to that feeling that I matter, I think that's going to lead to more happiness, going to lead maybe to the good life. Look, uh, and we should mention we're talking— uh, as two adults, two sure, colleagues, sure. two friends. Relatively one of us, smart guys. One relatively. Of us maybe a little smarter than the other one, but. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Not too bright, folks. You know, you, you've, got, uh, you've got one atheist here. Right. Um, in the and chair. One person who clearly from, goes to church two, three times a week, right? Well, usually, usually yeah, yeah, three yeah. times. I'm a big. Uh, no, I don't go to church three times a week. But uh, I, I do believe in the divine. Yeah, I do a believe. Ladies, I'm a believer. Yeah. I'm a believer. Yeah. And what I am not entirely sure, but yeah. I am entirely sure I am yeah. not agnostic. Yeah. And I am not agnostic either, believe it or not. I am without the belief in any God or gods you, you or were, higher power. You, you deny so the existence am, of God. I don't deny it. I just don't see any evidence for it. So I would be a non-believer. I would be someone without religion or those kinds of beliefs. Uh, I'd be called, I guess, an atheist. Which means without theism. And what I think is interesting is that in the modern era, as we mentioned, you sure. know, you have atheism, you have non-belief showing up more and more in demographics all over the country, all over the world as a popular idea. And at the same time, we have more and more ways that we can explain sure. the world that sure. we live in. Now, let me stop you for a second. I don't like the term non-belief. I should actually qualify that by saying it's atheism and or unbelief. Gotcha. Uh, as uh, Dr. Herb Berg, a professor of Islamic studies and former director of the International Center at UNCW, called his course that I took several years back, Atheism and Unbelief. It was part of the liberal studies program. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, early on uh, in the early development of civilizations, pre-civilization, I think it's fair to say that religion, you know, at least started in part as a way to explain what couldn't be explained through science or through the obvious. Uh, you look at civilizations like Egypt, and I always tell my students this, and you know, sometimes they get a little offended. People of today can't possibly be as religious as people of yesterday. No, probably not. Because Certainly aren't as desperate. Religion don't was need all it as encompassing. Much. Exactly. Mm -hmm, yeah. And so you look at a society like Egypt, the role that magic played. This wasn't like theoretical, cute no. magic. I got the and so when we right, use that term, I want to about it, Nothing performative at all, no, right? No, no, no. This right. was Not essential. dress up and, and cover dishes uh, nope. and go to water parks and... No, no, no. This was right, essential. Sing songs, yeah. This was... Yeah. I mean, this is what inspired them right, to build the... Right, the sun's not going to rise, perhaps, right? Exactly. If, if exactly. Belief, Society right? won't function. Yeah. yeah. You know, they... Of course, everybody knows they worshipped cats. Yeah. They believe cats were magical. Hey. Hey, there are still religions that worship animals. Are I think I actually think There's if they, I think if an ancient Egyptian came back and saw like five minutes of cat videos on the yeah. internet, they'd be like, "Yeah, hey, we knew it. We told me. you I about it." Should, I think we should put um, some of these uh, cat addicts or these uh, dogaholics. There's dog chauffeur services, private chefs for dogs, podicures for your dog, where you can get your nails painted or pops of color for their hair. As I call them, put them on the couch sometime. So in the you near think future. we should do a pet parenting? I think we should fur do babies. a pet parenting. I fur love babies, it. Yeah. I love it. What do you think? Dogaholic and cat, cat, what? What is it? But I like those. Cat addicts. Cat addicts. And uh, dogaholic. Ancient religions, obviously, they were superstitious. Um, and, and they sought, and they all had origin myths. All of them did. Sure. And none of them, cults, yeah. none of them were more involved or more in depth than the creation myths coming out of the Indus Valley. Hinduism is the world's oldest religion. What? Yep. I thought, I thought Jesus came first. 
He did not come before okay. Hinduism. Okay. He did not come. We don't actually have a precise date for Hinduism. Hinduism probably doesn't have a precise date but for But we do it. know it's probably earlier than Jesus. It's definitely earlier okay. than Jesus. Fair enough. See, in, Before the dinosaurs? In, in history, we can speak with certainty. With psychology, yes. we're still guessing. I do. We still... We, 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 you just we make are, it up no, as you go. I thought I think the opposite. It's about confidence intervals. I teach my students in research methods. Confidence intervals. How confident do you want to be in the precision of your claim, right? So if I just want to be like 10% confident, well, hell, every, everything I say, anything I say will go. No, but if I, I want to really get in there and get precise, I got to do better with, than just, I don't know exactly, it's just, just maybe between 2,000 and 100,000 years ago now. Come on. I always tell them, I say the same type of thing to my students. So, you know, if you're going to be wrong, be wrong in a big way. Right. I be agree. Wrong That's all why the way. I do psychology. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like those 99% <laughs> confidence intervals. I guess We not. do 95. There you go. Uh, but yeah, Hinduism was a way they really explained and ordered society, and they came up with, you know, precise metrics to date the planet and the universe. You know what else they came up with? Brace yourself, Darcy. About to transform into the Indian MC Hammer. The Kama Sutra. Bollywood. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Kama Sutra. Well, that too. We'll put sex on the couch in the in the near future. It's part as well. of the good life. Right. Actually, it's part of the great no life. No pun intended, by the way. We'll put sex on the couch later. We won't have sex on the couch. No, we will we'll put, put sex on the couch. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and again, the, the connection goes right back to explaining the world. And in Hinduism, you know, you quickly get into this concept of um, order, uh, a way to govern what. You know, the Indus Valley was a very, very large society. Yeah. Right. So you get your the beginnings of your caste system, uh, and there is a direct connection between Hinduism and the caste system that still exists to varying degrees in Indian society. It's technically been outlawed, but it's such a big part of that Hindu culture; it, it hasn't gone away. Yeah. Well, let me fast forward you a little bit, bring you yep. up, bring yeah. you up to more of the modern era. Let's talk about Christianity for a second. Let's do it. You yeah. know, but first, let's have uh, our first knowledge drop. Uh, okay, okay. I don't know why you're so excited. I don't I don't know. Okay. Yeah, First knowledge us, drop of the day. First knowledge drop of the day. The philosopher and Buddhist Alan Watts believed that there were three great views of the world, right? One of those views is the Eastern view, the idea of everything as being connected as the Godhead sort of playing hide and seek with itself. The world is a drama. The Christian view, the Western view, is the view of God the creator and and his children and this relationship between the paternal father and his children and owing obedience and love and all of these things to that paternal God. And then there is the Darwinist or the mechanical view of the world that just posits that the world is sort of blind luck, that we're here and we're part of this world, we're in it, but we're not really connected to it. Um, and so we have those three great views of the world. So let's talk about Christianity. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like that third one because I am an evolutionist. And uh, it reminded me when you were talking about evolutionary perspective, uh, one of the quotes that I like most is, um, if uh, the universe is, is what we expect it to be, um, if basically this mechanical view of the world is right, which I believe it is, then there is no good, there's no bad, there's no good luck, bad luck, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no success or failure. There's wow. just blind, pityless indifference. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, that's, I'm, that's I'm going to be really and interested. Depression. That is really hard and as to take. As I can go. Yeah. However, I do think that there's got to be a different side to religion, right? I mean, there's got to be something to it other than 
Well, let's explore that. What may be an evolutionist. Let's explore that. And when we talk about Christianity, I'm not going to talk about Christianity right yet. I'm going to talk about the Abrahamic faiths. All right, let's start with that. So this is the monotheistic God, the Yahweh. This is the God of the Old Testament. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Judaism, uh, but, you know, we can talk about Judaism and Christianity yeah. and Islam in, in sort of the same breath because they're careful, governed by this. Careful, careful. They're governed by the same God. They're all monotheistic. They're all governed, not, they're not monotheistic. They are governed by the same monotheistic being. Oh, right? okay. So, Christian, so Jesus is not God. No. Well, Allah is not God. No, Jesus is part of God. In yeah. fact, there was a lot of debate about that. Yeah, right. But we don't when, want to get no, too we're into the weeds. Right. We don't all right, want to so get I'll, too into I'll the weeds. All right, so I'll grant weed. you that, that, that premise. So... so Christianity developed in a time where life was really cheap and, and sort of meaningless. There's an, a clip from Gladiator. And short. Marcus Aurelius had a dream that was Rome, Proximo. This is not it. This is not it. Marcus Aurelius is dead, Maximus. We mortals are but shadows and dust. Shadows and dust. So okay, that, yeah, yeah, I love so, that. I love so that. he's talking about shadows and dust, right? Yeah, and what yeah, does yeah. it mean? It means life is cheap. There's no jail. There's no redemption. It's you're doing a good job and you're alive or you're punished and you're about to be eaten, hanged. Sounds a little blind, crucified, different right? to me. And so you get in this, into this uh, atmosphere, into this world comes this faith that says, no, 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 you're not understanding. It's not just about the here and now. Yeah, it's, it's about, about the there's life. something else here. Yeah, there's there's something, something more. Bigger. All of your suffering, all of the things that you're going through. It'll make everything make a, sense, There's right? a purpose to it. Right, it'll make everything make sense. A- absolutely. And there, right. you know, so It sounds a lot like what the um, conservative party has been peddling for the last, I don't know, 50 years. God wants you to be rich. Quite a message, I have to admit. It's There are no poor people. There's just the yet-to-haves, right? <laughs> and likewise, right. there's, right. No, there's right. no suffering. It's just yet to feel good. There's no, there's no inequality. It's just yet to see the fairness. I think that's the problem with capitalism is we all vote like we're going to be rich one day. Right. Even though we, we see that's not the case. But it's a hell of a message, isn't it? It is. It's a, a lot it is, better it than that appealing. Bernie Sanders message, isn't it? Bernie Sanders says, and along with him, the rest of those, uh, those woke liberal progressives, they say, For an increasingly large fraction of Americans... Uh, they will not be able to have a standard of living that is higher than that of their parents. Their game is rigged. But Nobody can get ahead. That's a terrible message, isn't it? It's not very appealing to me. No, but you know what I like? I like when I hear the message that says, look, I don't care how little you're trying. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care where you were born. I don't care what your current stage or what is it, station in life. You can move up. You can move up. You Everybody can. can. Up. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can move up. It is the liberals say, look, it's you gotta you gotta know someone, there's gotta be luck. But the conservatives are like, nah, man. Well just uh, trust. Let me ask you from a psychological push perspective. Yeah. All right. Let's if if you look out, you know, through the modern era, let's say you go sure. back two hundred years and you look at conflict and you look at mental trauma mm-hmm. uh, during times of war. Uh, I th- it it's, exists in every war. Sure. War is without a clear moral purpose. So I'm speaking now of, let's say, the First World War. I'm speaking now of Vietnam. I'm speaking now of my own experience in Afghanistan. Oh. Where, you know... You were there to basically settle a debt that Saddam Hussein had left unpaid. Maybe that's Iraq. Oh, And yeah. I think it was... Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, didn't we also... Yeah, no, no, you're right. We, yeah, went into, we went into but you know what you're, you're, ma- you're making my point for yeah, me. Man, when, I, when I was there and my friend, 
you know, seeing us pull out the way we did, uh, you know, I thought that part of my life was was gone. Real men but, never but it, pull out, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. <laughs> Real countries don't pull out. That sounds like a flag at a MAGA rally. Right. Real countries don't pull out. Um, well, look, you know, experiencing that and then going through the process 20 years after I had been there of saying, why w- what was that about? Why yeah. was I there? It was, it was extremely, and it still is extremely painful. And if you look at Vietnam... Um, Same kind of you, thing. You look at these type of conflicts with these high instances of post-traumatic stress disorder, but then you look at a war like, you know, the World Great War, war yeah. World War II, right? Yeah. They're, the worthy, the good war, the just war. The, right, they, and what, they're the greatest generation. Greatest generation fought so that war. So is we, there something... But I, but I do know... Yeah, I'll tell is you there, what Is there something mental yeah. with the idea that Ticker, your suffering yes. is is yeah. justified? Ticker tape parade. That's the thing that World War One, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan were missing. Ticker tape parade, baby. What was on the when back When you end? guys came back, well, that's what I'm saying, right? You come back, you were just talking about your 20 years of reflecting on it. You're like, oh. Uh, also, when you were there, you didn't probably feel like a lot of people across the world were like rooting for you or thought that what you were doing Not was justified, me. Yeah, right? I, I did. I actually did. I did think that oh, they thought what no, I was doing no was one justified. here, no one thought you were We, we opened schools. We built yeah, roads. Yeah, you did some great things, right? And then to come. We could do that, by the way, without war. But yeah, you, we did that anyway. We, we did some great things. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying that you got to really feel like it's justified, and there can be some post hoc justification, right? Like some after the fact reasoning. If I if I engage in a behavior that's good or bad, but then the way people treat me after I've done it is really negatively, then it might I might go back and sort of reanalyze whether or not it was worth it, and vice versa. So there know? is there is something psychologically appealing that yeah, if you're so. watching your brother eaten by a lion in the arena for being a Christian, <sighs> and then you could say, you know what? I know there was a reason for that. Absolutely. Yeah, or if your loved it's one, not just shadows and dust. No, There's something there. One, you know, if your loved one uh, walks into a bus stop in the Middle East and you know does the cord on a suicide vest and blows himself up. There's a reason. There's a reason, right? Now so, my family gets uh, all the goodies and I get 99 virgins in heaven. Well, I mean, obviously it was effective because throughout the European world, um, you know, in parts of... The East, certainly in Constantinople, modern-day Turkey, into Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christianity explodes. And Jesus inspire, Christ becomes it, the emperor of sure. Europe. And it inspires. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Wealth, power. After the fall um, of Rome, that's all there is. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and exactly. So this faith, though, quickly becomes, because it's everywhere, it quickly becomes patriarchal. I mean, Arthur. Arthur. King of the Britons. Oh, don't grovel. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Sorry. And don't apologize. Every time I try to talk to someone, it's sorry this and forgive me that and I'm not worthy. What? <laughs> yeah, yes. I love that. That's I love great. that. They're terrified, right? They're yeah. terrified of this God. Sure. Um, and, and God and, and really the encompassing entity that brings God to the people of medieval Europe. Now I'm speaking of the Catholic Church sure. specifically. Hey, and before we go any further to modern Catholicism, let's take a quick break and identify our sponsors. Okay, thank you for your patience, uh, Nelson. Uh, you were saying on the other side, Catholicism, and I said let's let's wait and sort of move to the present. Uh, well, for the people of medieval Europe, there was no 
there, the Catholicism was omnipresent. It was everywhere. Okay. I mean, if you look at the Catholic faith, right, they create a system that is going to bind you to God. Sure. I mean, do you know what the first sacrament is? Um, probably tithe. No, it's, uh, it's not a sacrament. That's, um, a, that's a commandment. Um, do... Uh, wash your hands and feet before bed. Wash the baby. Wash the baby. I knew it was something about Baptism. washing. Baptism, right? Yeah, purity, so, purification. When you're born... Rebirth, rebirth. There you go. When when you're born, the church is there. God is there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, reborn into the church. There for you and there for your parents. Uh-huh. When you are, uh, you know, 12, 13 years old, what happens in, in a Catholic family? You get confirmed, right? Yeah. Every society recognizes 12 or 13 as a coming of age, sure. as being a full member of Whether it's of religious or otherwise, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, right? We, we mark these moments, these big uh, uh, rites of passage. Exactly. And they, may, and they may differ in terms of what we expect out of people around those times or how we mark those moments, but absolutely. Yeah, everyone pretty much agrees. And then marriage. Culturally. Your, your, your that, big day. Your yeah. big day. You remember your wedding day? I do. Of course. Good I times, right? It was hot. Uh, was the Catholic small, Church there? No, had a small group of friends and family there, mostly family, um, about 100 degrees, did it outside at my brother's house. I'd gone to South Carolina and cut down some bamboo from um, a uh, section of woods near my childhood home that I'd played in when I was a kid. Nice. I wanted to give that, share that on my wedding day with my wife. I built an arbor nice. in my brother's yard out of that bamboo. Nice. Yeah. Good. Well, if you were in medieval Europe... Uh None of that would matter. No, no. It, it didn't have to be nice, but it was ceremonial and it was important. Marriage yeah. was a sacrament. Well, you, knew, a sacrament. you knew it wasn't going to be forever, Abs- at least not on the earth. Because, I mean, if you're married at about 15 and your life expectancy is only like, what, 30? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be pretty short. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's why yeah, they depends on who you maybe, that, maybe that's why they had... 15 years can be a long time. I, well, I was going to say, couples. maybe that was why um, the divorce rates were so low back then. Uh, probably not. It was because it was a sacrament. Yeah, yeah. In, in Europe, anyway. So they right? took their vows seriously. Took their vows very seriously. Had no choice, right? Absolutely. Because these are not man-made vows the way they are today. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you had marriage, and then you had, you know, your, when you died, they were there last rites. When you were having a spiritual dilemma, you went every week to confess, mm-hmm. but if you needed to go more often, yeah. and you needed to talk to God about what you felt guilty about, or what you did wrong, or why you beat your wife two weeks ago, or why you were drinking too much, yeah. you had God. Yeah. In fact, that was all you had. The hours of the day were marked by the church's bells. The church was the wealthiest institution in Europe, and it was by far the largest. Yeah, so even if you lived alone, you were still walking with God. Amen. Even if you were sick, you were actually still healthy in the Spirit. Amen. But you can see how this ever-present, omnipresent, patriarchal, paternal force can become kind of overwhelming, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this idea uh, like, is God funny? We don't know. We don't have. We don't really know this God. Not that we, God. No, we don't really know. Is he self-deprecating? What does he want? With I mean, me? he does what have low self-esteem, doesn't he? If you have to pray towards him, or if you create everybody to love you. Ooh. So uh, yeah, it, it, it's a very, it's exhausting. Yeah. I think it's exhausting. I think being a Catholic can be exhausting. It's a common refrain, right? Are you religious? No, I grew up Catholic. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, Nothing so then you, you get into uh, then you get into the mechanical view of the world, right? You okay. get into Charles Darwin and his appeal of the his uh, his idea of the Earth is completely dumb. Yeah, um, pretty much. Now you know we should note that Darwin was not an atheist. Well, he no, was agnostic. He he actually started out um, as a believer. You know, he had family members, including his own father, I think Erasmus, or that might be his grandfather, who inspired him to go into the clergy. He spent more time studying. Scripture than he did biology or, you know, natural selection, for sure. 
But you know what happened. You know where his great conversion came from, don't you? I don't. Yeah, so he and his wife had many children, but I believe it was his oldest child, his firstborn. Uh, she had contracted some sort of fever or some sort of illness, um, and Darwin was convinced that that illness was genetic, was biological, was organic, that she didn't catch it, in other words. And he uh, assumed correctly that because he and his wife were first cousins, that they had passed this abnormality on to the daughter. And Darwin said, look, there's no God to blame. There's no giant force out there looking out for me or my kid. This is my fault. And, I mean, he suffered and struggled and, and was very alone and very— um, he went to a dark place for many, many, many years after that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. But it's the you same— ever lost, You ever lost anyone that's close to you? Have I? Yeah. 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 I think we all have. Yeah, and it's dark. When you get to 40. It's dark. Yeah, but we're still at the same spot, aren't we? We're still know. seeking to explain. Yeah, the good yeah, life. Th no, not the good life. The <laughs> bad life. We're seeking to explain all the bad things. Well, I'm ready to talk about the good life, man. I mean, I don't know if religion can can handle the weight. That's a heavy lift, isn't it, to put all that on religion's shoulders? I don't know. The good life. I don't think. I it's, mean, all they got to do is promise the afterlife is going to be good, and then it kind of just excuses the shit on the earth. I think that ignores a lot of what great theologians, great religious thinkers, great teachers like Jesus Christ, like the Buddha. I think it ignores a lot about what they say about the now. Right, I mean, if you look at Buddhism, that's all there is. There is no future. There is no past. It's all the present. It's well, that's, all the now. That's, that's one of those, you know, fun-fangled religions, those, those oh, polytheistic okay. that aren't real serious about well, their covered own, dishes and their judgy. Buddhism sort of, doesn't really make a guess at no, God. No. It just sort but of... I, but I do agree. Buddhism is all about the here and now, right? It's all about um, enjoying the process, so to speak. No, no, it's not about enjoying the process. It's about being part of the process. Being it's about understanding the process. The process. The process yeah. It's about accepting the way you feel yeah. and how you feel. If you're lustful, you shouldn't feel ashamed sure. about it. Right. If you're angry, Direct you shouldn't. Direct opposite of Christianity. Uh, yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. I can't. I mean, with Christianity, there are these rules. Well, when we put sex on the couch, we're really good. Uh, I'll sound a lot more atheistic. It's like uh, you should feel guilty. You should feel couch. terrible. You should feel less than. You should feel inferior. Right? Yeah, but the idea Everybody there, right, is, isn't it? Too, Everybody. Okay, but even in so doing, it makes sex something that's a little... Dirty, a little risque, yeah. the, the forbidden fruit, yeah. so to speak, yeah. if that sounds familiar. It also familiar, makes alcohol right? that way. It also makes relationships with people but that don't it, believe the same way you do. Doesn't making something a little risque make it a little more alluring? Yeah, I think so. And a society absolutely needs a healthy sex life in order to continue on. Hey, well, we'll definitely talk about that in a future episode. But with regards to, uh, with regards to this idea of the world is dumb, I got to ask you, when you left your... Christian faith, because you grew up Christian. Yeah. Do you feel like you lost something? Um, I think I did at first, but in so losing something, I realized that um, it gave me the opportunity to find something maybe even more important. What is that? Myself. I found that I am carving out my way in this world. I found, I found out that I am responsible for... Um, getting and cultivating, grooming, fostering relationships with people. I am the captain of my fate. To use uh, Roger Hensley's words, I'm the master of my fate or captain of my fate. I'm the master or captain of my soul. I don't need a higher power uh, sitting up there in the sky judging me or 
to remind me that I need to be a good person, that I need to spend every day uh, potentially like it's my last, because I believe it is, that I believe that this is finite. This is it, that when I die, if I'm uh, lucky, I will um, be remembered for a little while, um, and that's about it. I'm going to be worm food. Yeah, but forget about the afterlife. Okay. Here and now. A hundred percent. Teachers like Jesus. Teachers like the Buddha, great religious theologians, sure. have a lot to say about how we live and why it matters. Yeah. They have a lot to say about what is. They all disagree on what will be or what was, but they have a lot to say, and I think a lot of value about what is. See, I, I, with Jesus in particular, I just had a, I had and still do have a hard time kind of teasing apart the whole, you know, self flagellation or whatever you call it, um, where you bang yourself on the back with the whip constantly. The 40 days? Yeah, but yeah. he didn't self-flagellate. Uh, also, the the whole you got to suffer, suffering is great kind of thing. And but the, oh, Buddha, only, the, the rich man can't get through, the get into heaven. It's like passing through the eye of a needle, a camel passed through the eye of a needle or something. Right, it's just all platitudes. It's like, yeah, it'll make really poor people who are disenfranchised and um, maybe put under the thumb of the powerful feel a little bit better. But... What are you really doing? I mean, people who have the power, whether they believe or not, still are the winners while they're on earth. I, I, I would push back. I don't think Christ said you have to suffer, that there's no— No, but he said it. You don't you look will at suffer. it as suffering. Look at it as a good thing, right? All the suffering you do on earth, you'll be rewarded in heaven, so to speak. Um, I mean, in a simplistic way, but I really think it's more well, about— Hey, I was eight or nine years old when I left religion, so that's the only, that's the only idea well, I have about it. Th- there's, and I was reminded every time I tried to... Don't you agree that there's an, an, an inevitability to suffering? Um, We're all going to suffer. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We're all so. going to suffer. And, and the extent to which we allow so that to take we, us over and the extent to which we allow that to interfere with our, really, our plight to live a good life, to thrive, I think, is probably moderated by variables other than just religion, especially Christianity. Yeah, at I, least, I, at least I, in my own I, life, I, I agree I that find alcohol, friendships in particular, community, neighbors, uh, music. Um, but is alcohol a good way of dealing with suffering? Yeah, it can be. It can be. Yeah, yeah, can be for a short period of time. Yeah, but I think I would I would say that, and you might say that as people who have a healthy relationship with alcohol. Yeah, there's it's always a, the danger that it's a very dangerous road. Danger that it. It'll serve as a gateway to something harder. But, you know, so will religion, right? Maybe I start out with something kind of, uh, I don't know, mild, like Buddhism. And before you know it, I'm in some kind of religious cult that's telling me I can like Satanism. only sleep with, you know, my dog and that my wife has to sleep with the, the cult leader. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, I, I mean, I believe we're all adults here. My audience is they're pretty smart. They, um, they probably can have a drink with friends, with family, you know, at at dinner and and not overdo it. Certainly we sure, can we can sure. listen to music hopefully and turn it off when we go to work or go into the classroom and you we, know yeah we can Well you know Satanists are uh, I love Satanists. Yeah. They they don't believe I, I try to tell my students they get really confused. They don't believe in the underlord. No. They that's just sort of they're atheists who like to piss people oh, off. Oh now now also atheists don't believe in Satan either. So I don't believe in Satan that's, any more than I believe in a God or gods. 
I think you know Satan is just in history a fascinating character. Yeah, just a fascinating well, character. Maybe we should maybe he's, we should put evil or Satanism or he's a humanist. Symbolic evil on the couch sometimes. Well, I think you know an atheist would argue that the only thing we're feeling guilty about is in our own heads. If you want to do drugs, do drugs. If you want to have sex with willing partners, have sex and don't yeah, feel bad. Yeah, put this, down the all, bag again, of bricks. That's what I'm saying. All that feeling bad, all that sort of self pity, all of that. I think that's it's everywhere. Though. I it's think in that's our literature. Religion. It's in our religions. It's in uh, in some religions, not all, but yeah. It's uh, so look. It's, I, not, I, it's not appealing to me. So I got a question for you. Yeah, I got a question for you. What if you're a hundred percent right, mm-hmm. and the world accepts the truth and asks for the truth? Would mm-hmm. we be happier? Would we be able to better pursue the good life? Yeah. What are you asking? You're if asking we abandon if I, if the I answers knew. and we say, yeah, if you, would you want? to know would the world want to know that it is dumb luck and we're alone oh no i don't think so no i don't necessarily think it would cause chaos in the way that movie knock at the cabin door see the four of us have a very important job to do in fact it might be the most important job in the history of the world fail to choose the world went yeah i don't think um, you know, I, it wouldn't be like that. No, I don't think it would be like that necessarily, right? That's uh, like M. Night Shyamalan's idea, his imagination. But no, I do think um, it'd be different. Um, maybe it'd be a little more like Scandinavia. That's not a bad place. No, They're happy. I mean, they have a That's pretty the good low, life. They're pretty very low happy people. prevalence of religiosity, specifically like organized religion. Um, also, I don't necessarily know that you know, even if you are suffering, you necessarily need religion to sort of fill in the gaps. Uh, I think about people in, again, some parts of the world where maybe they're not super religious, but they're also not doing very well economically. I think about, you know, people in South America, Central America, Costa Rica comes to my mind. They're happy. I don't know that there's that many Christians there, certainly no more than there are, you know, anywhere else yet. They are happy, and they've got some other things. Like they've got some other moderating variables that might explain it. Uh, the wonderful weather, the True. wonderful climate, right? The uh, and and you know when you ask people all around the world, including those people I mentioned earlier um, in the positive psychology um, Facebook group, what they say over and over is, you know, just having someone to talk to, having someone to share my suffering with, having someone to reach out to and hold their hand. Yep. At any time, whether it's to celebrate or to sort of commiserate, yeah, commiserate. Celebrate, celebrate or, or commiserate. commiserate. There you go. Um, having someone to reach out to, having someone to call, having someone to look in to their eyes and talk with them is a is a big thing. You know, one of the quickest ways of exiting this earth suicide. Uh, besides that, I don't. Um, being lonely. Oh, Surgeon General. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Murthy just put out a book not too long ago and talks about some of the um, dangers of being lonely, of feeling wow. alone, right? And wow. he says that um, loneliness in terms of mortality is worse than diabetes, worse than it. smoking, worse than over, being obese. I believe uh, it. And it's, and it's connected with, you know, all sorts of negative uh, health income uh, I, outcomes. From, I believe from it. From dementia, heart disease, you name it. And yes, even mortality. Living fewer days, years on this earth. The lonelier you are, the more likely you are to pass away earlier. Well, and I will point out that religion creates that uh, 
that community. It's a built-in community. It's already there for you, and it's someplace that we can continue to turn sure. when we're at our low point. Now, look. And speaking of turning, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to turn to our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So, yeah, we were talking about religion, specifically uh, modern monotheistic religions, and I guess whether or not they can necessarily lead us to the good life, to lead us to a happy, sort of thriving life. What do you think, Nelson? What's the over-under on religion leading to a happy life? Well, it's not a satisfying answer, but I really think it depends on the person. I mean, I have spent a lifetime uh, really interested in the role that religion plays in human history and in my own history, in my own life. Um, You know, I've been to almost every denominational Christian church that you can think of. I still go on occasion. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what I believe with regards to specifics, but here's what I do believe. The idea of an interconnectedness, the idea that there's you and there's me, and there's really no difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that the world is operating not blindly, uh, not without purpose, um, that every being on it is owed respect, the synergy that I see from Native American religions, yeah. I, th- I think there's something very healthful, at least for me personally, yeah. in that. Um, I don't feel sorry for people who don't share it. Yeah. Um, I don't try to push those views on anybody. If somebody asks, I'll be happy to yeah. to share. Well, but, I did, but I, I do think uh, I, I do think there's something very foundational about a basic belief of why mm-hmm. are we all here? Yeah. Well, I mean, in that response, you've given me two things to think about. In the first case, uh, religion sort of inspiring, or maybe even to some degree explaining this feeling of needing and being interconnected with everyone and everything and yep. uh, owing everyone and everything some level of respect and giving some level of grace, especially those that are not like us, less fortunate, or don't believe the way we do. Um, to that, I would say, I absolutely agree with that. And if that is the only thing that religion inspired, if that were the only thing religion was for, if that were why people were waging war or why people were getting on Facebook and um, getting into flame fights uh, on the keyboard— I'd say, man, you know, I'm, I'm with the side that says, let's be more tolerant, respectful, let's give, give more grace. Because as a, an evolutionist or an atheist or one who takes a more mechanical view of the world, I still have, I guess, what you'd call moral sentiment then. Sure. I'm not sure where it came from. I'm not saying that, um, but I'm also not ready to say that it was inspired by some kind of uh, creator or some kind of, you know, entity in another realm. What I will say, however, is that I believe that it has benefited our species, and continues to benefit not only our species, but many, many species, perhaps all species that have ever walked the earth. Some level of respect, some level of um, grace, some level of cooperation, if you will, some level of community. We're social beings first, right? Amen. And um, that's probably why it's so damn painful to go to prison, especially why it's so painful to be put in solitary confinement. I don't think people can live, as a general rule, in solitary confinement more than a couple of weeks before they start to break down, seriously break down. This might explain why when one spouse of 20 or 30 years dies, the other one dies so quickly afterwards. Right. And again, this might explain why it's so much easier 
uh, to receive a terminal diagnosis or to have to undergo a painful rehabilitation process if there's a loved one or someone that you trust and know right beside you. Um, there's actually a study that I'm familiar with where people were put inside one of the brain scans and they were getting their fingers pricked or prodded, right? And they were randomly given a person, it might even be a stranger, to hold hands with when they were having this perform performed on them. And it turned out that the people who were holding hands, even if it was with strangers, the part of the brain that um, lights up or the part of the brain that becomes active when you're in pain uh, showed less activity among those who were holding hands, even, again, if the hands were being held with a stranger. So, wow. again, we can see the, that connectedness matters whether you're religious or not. Now, the second part of that, um, that's where I probably take issue and may, may or may not um, think it matters that much. It's that whole, you know, looking to religion or looking to a god or gods for meaning, for purpose. God. Well, and I think you asked, you know, I think I've, I've get, got a better answer for yeah, you. Yeah. All okay. right. You don't need religion okay. for the good life. No. Nope. You, you don't. I don't think you could live it without grace and understanding. So okay. however you so get wherever, to that. Yeah, however you now, get to that point, have, whatever inspires that. Have you ever hated? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's terrible. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to feel that way. So you know, when, I've been alone, I've hated, I've had all those dark moments, so, and I feel like with or without religion, it's not going to help that much. So, well, when the Buddha or when Jesus talk about love thy enemy, yeah. it's not about thy enemy. It's not, oh, these people. That's about you. It's, yeah, you're not going to live a good life. No. Your enemy doesn't care. No. They hope you hate them. That's right. And if, you know, we can find that grace for each other and that respect for each other, yeah. I think that is a foundational piece. And, and religion's so, and always been a big part yeah, of it. And so maybe we will find that, uh, or at least we'll continue searching for it. And I think... What should we do next week? Uh, I think next week we should look at uh, loving thy neighbor. Let's look at community. Community? Yeah, let's put community on the couch. We can also bring in a little social media. We can bring yeah. our, our online community Yeah, in. let's talk about that next week. Let's do it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, listening to us. Hey, before we go, you got a question for me? Yes. Oh, my God. What are we doing? Uh, what last, are we doing, last buddy? Last week or two, we didn't do it. All right, here's it. what we need. All right. But we got to... We got to. We put them on the couch. Yeah, we got to put it well, on the couch. That's our job. Right. We're couch putters. So we're going to put what? Religion? Are we going to put the good life? Or are we going to do? Yeah, I think, you know... Religion. Right, this is religion. this is that part of the good life. Okay. We'll put the good life on the couch at the very end of the series. All right. right now, I want you to give me a diagnosis, but don't do like mass psychogenic no, illness. No, no, All no, right, no. let's no. let's do a good diagnosis. Religion. Give it to me. Religion's on the couch, Doctor McCoy. I'm gonna give it bipolar disorder. Okay. Because sometimes it, it can lead to extreme highs, but it can also encourage extreme lows. Um, it's a, it's a, and those it's are a usually prolonged episodes. It can be prolonged, right? And uh, so there's there's a definitely a roller coaster with religion. That sounds like a roller coaster I've been on, and certainly one you've been on too. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Doc. Thanks. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your